A reading from Exodus, the 14th chapter, beginning with verse 19. The angel of God who was going before the Israelite army moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from in front of them and took its place behind them. It came between the army of Egypt and the army of Israel. And so the cloud was there with the darkness, and it lit up the night. One did not come near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The Lord drove back the sea by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. The Israelites went into the sea on dry ground, the waters forming a wall for them on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went into the sea after them, all of Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and chariot drivers. At the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and cloud looked down upon the Egyptian army and threw the Egyptian army into panic. He clogged their chariot wheels so that they turned with difficulty. The Egyptians said, Let us flee from the Israelites, for the Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea so that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and chariot drivers. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at dawn the sea returned to its normal depth. As the Egyptians fled before it, the Lord tossed the Egyptians into the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the chariot drivers, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the Israelites walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters forming a wall for them on the right and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great work that the Lord did against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. The word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. With the children, a reading from the 18th chapter of the Gospel according to Matthew, beginning with verse 21. Then Peter came and said to Jesus, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, Not seven times, but I tell you, seventy-seven times. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And as he could not pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold, together with his wife and children, and all his possessions and payment to be made. So the slave fell on his knees before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the Lord of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. 
but the same slave. As he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him by the throat, he said, Pay what you owe. Then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. But he refused. Then he went and threw him into prison until he would pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. Then his Lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in in anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. The word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So Jesus has just finished saying to them, if someone sins against you, you go to them. Remember that? And you say, you have hurt me. And if they'll listen to you, you have regained your brother or sister. And then he said, but if they won't listen to you, take two or three more. And then he said, if they wouldn't listen to y'all, bring the whole congregation. Bring the church. Bring the other witnesses to the forgiveness of God to stand before them and say, you have done this person wrong. Remember that? And so, Peter asks a very personal question in response to that. Maybe one that was even on the back of your mind as you heard me last week pontificate about the importance of you not holding on to some grudge or vengeance because that belongs to God. But you might have thought, but I'm more important than that. You know, these days, the the war chant of the world is, is human dignity. That we work to preserve our own human dignity at every single cost. But if you really watch human beings, do you see all of us acting very dignified in the world? Do you see much of that at all? Isn't what we mean by human dignity my right to be right? My right to be most important? My right to decide what will happen? My right to adjudicate your fault? It's just good old-fashioned pride. It's the idea that we deserve a second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth, eleventh, twelfth chance. Not so that we can possibly get it right, but so that we can keep on doing whatever it is we want to do. And that's how a lot of people approach forgiveness, unfortunately. They will come to you and say, I am so sorry you did that to you. I heard a very wise person tell someone, if you were sorry, you wouldn't keep doing it. I thought, man, I hope she never says that to me. 
And there's some truth in that. If we were truly sorry, if we were truly repentant for the hurts that we caused for other people, maybe we would quit doing it. But it's also true that we're fallen and broken. We've fallen and we can't get up, as the commercials used to say. But Peter is assuming that Peter should get to decide how many times he gets to do this thing that Jesus has told him he should do. In other words, he's saying, Lord, how many times should I give someone if they sin against me? I got seven in me. Is that enough? Now, if you're like me, you think it's seven, man, that's a lot. That's a whole lot of times for you to have to put up with somebody coming to you and telling you that they're sorry for doing you wrong, stealing from you, doing you nasty. I was talking with somebody the other day that was telling me that one of their best friends in the whole world hired him to do a project and wouldn't pay him. And he saw him driving down the road in a truck. A brand new truck. The down payment of which would probably have paid him. And he felt wronged. And he was having a very difficult time swallowing that. Y'all know that feeling? It's this hard, isn't it? But listen to what Jesus is saying to us here. There was some guy who owed this unbelievable amount to his master. Some people say that Jesus' story is built around the idea that the guy was Um, some sort of of money holder for a financier or something like that. But Jesus is telling a made-up story to make a point. So it don't matter what he was. What matters is the debt he owed. Y'all want to hear it? It's astounding to me. Listen to this. One denarius is one day of labor. We know that from other places in the Bible, and we know that from historical documents. About one day of labor for the average person, especially a soldier. One denarius was the daily wage of a soldier. One talent. Remember he owed, how many talents did he owe? Anybody remember? Was anybody listening hard? No. 10,000. Did you hear that number? 10,000. Now, if I owed somebody $10,000 and they told me to bring it back today, I, I don't know what I'd do. I had to go say, Samantha, will you write these people a check? Can you imagine that? 10,000, but it's not that much. Listen, it's worse than that. A denarius is a day's wage. The entire day for an average worker. Listen to this. One talent is 6,000 denarii. 6,000 days of labor. 6,000. One talent. This man owed 10,000 talents is 60 million denarii or 60 million days of labor. What? No wonder he fell down and cried out for mercy, right? He got like a phone call from the IRS. Walked in with all his documents and found out he had been doing it wrong. Because, you know, they don't want just what you actually owe them. Sixty million days of labor. According to worlddata.info, 
The average male in the U.S. lives 73.5 years right now. Some of y'all showing that business, aren't you? The average woman lives 79.3 years because they don't do as much stupid stuff as men do. (laughs) Now listen. This man owed 191,694 years of labor. For the average U.S. male, he owed 2,600 lifespans of work. For the average woman, she owed 2,417 years of work. Do you see Jesus' point? Do you see the enormity of the debt? Do you see that he couldn't possibly live it off? He couldn't possibly undo it by suddenly deciding to live in good behavior? He's been cheating his Lord, getting away with everything, stocking up riches for himself, ignoring everybody else. He's got it made till somebody found out. And you better know the Lord knows our debt. Jesus is telling Peter, Peter, you have no idea the debt that all of humanity owes to God. That's what he's hitting Peter with. This is the enormity of it. St. Anselm said that we owed a debt we could not pay, so God became man to pay our debt for us. This is the magnitude of the debt that humanity has been offered forgiveness of in Jesus Christ. Do you hear it? It's incredible. It's past our imagination. So how dare Peter say, I can't forgive somebody eight times for what they do to me. Is Peter's dignity greater than the dignity of Almighty God? What do y'all think, church? No. So Jesus shows Peter this enormous debt through this story as an illustration of the enormous debt that God is willing to forgive us of. And I hope you know that God is willing to forgive you of your part in that debt. Listen, I got a proof text for you. It's one of my favorite verses. It's 1 John 1, 9. Do y'all know it? I got to read verse 8 to you. It's not his favorite for me. But 1 John 1, 8 If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So if you say, well, preacher, I hadn't racked up any debt with God. Guess what? The Bible says you're wrong. I saw a funny meme this week. It said, one thing I can't find in the Bible is your opinion. I said, that's fabulous. (laughs) But I hear people all the time, preacher, I don't need forgiveness. I haven't sinned. Are you kidding me? Have you treated everybody perfectly? Have you made every person you encountered in your life feel as if they were the most important person in the room with you? Have you worked for the good of the beggar in every single moment of your day? Have you ignored the hurt of anyone? Have you ignored an opportunity to help someone? Have you ignored the opportunity to be quiet in the presence of God? Have you ignored the opportunity to do good in some way? I think we probably all have. 
Have we forgotten the face of God? Have we forgotten who it is that formed us? Who it is that created us with a single thought and word? If so, we have sinned. But then comes verse 9. Man, you ought to write this one down somewhere where you see it once in a while. Listen to this. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins. Do you see the turn? In verse 8 he says, if we say we have no sin. But in verse 9 he says, if we say we have sin. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Which includes our inability to forgive others. Did you hear that? Now you might be like Peter. You might have heard me telling you last week that Jesus said, if you don't forgive people, you're going to be judged for it. That's what he said in Matthew 6, 5. He said, if we don't forgive, God won't forgive us. I ain't making it up. It's not my idea. I don't like it. I would prefer to be able to hold a grudge at somebody who's been evil to me. I feel like that would be an acceptable thing. But what do I know? I know that God, that God said, do not hold a grudge against your neighbor or take vengeance. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So I don't get to take vengeance. Even more, when Peter said, Lord, isn't seven times enough? Isn't seven times enough, Lord? You know, Lord, that's our number of perfection. That means I've forgiven him perfectly, Lord. Isn't seven times enough? How much longer should I put up with it? And Jesus said, oh, no, I tell you, 77 times. And wonder where Jesus got that number from. Could it be that Jesus had in mind when God forbade the world from taking vengeance against Cain? And could it be that Lamech, Cain's son, killed a man in a cold heart who had wounded him, killed him and bragged to his wife and kids about it? And said, Cain be avenged seven years, but Lamech 77 years. He will take vengeance all he wants to take vengeance. Isn't that Peter's question? Lord, how many times do I have to forgive that jerk before I get mine back? And Jesus is pointing out that Peter's question is in the room of the same heart as Lamech who killed a man who wounded him instead of forgiving him and blessing his enemies as Jesus commanded us to bless our enemies. We don't have a choice. If Jesus is Lord, this is what we will do or we are not behaving as Jesus is Lord. Now everybody says, well, I can't do it. Listen, Jesus didn't save you so you could save, stay like you are right now. I have this on good authority. I've told it to you at least 12 times now in the last three or four weeks. The Bible says that you have been predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ who forgave those who nailed Him to the cross. So don't tell me you can't or you won't ever will be able to. If you submit to Christ and follow Jesus, one day you will be able to forgive someone who sins against you the eighth time and the ninth time and the tenth time and the eleventh time until that person knows the very mercy of God through you. That is what God is working in the church. 
And a church that won't take that seriously denies what God has done. If we won't live fully in the forgiveness of God by extending that forgiveness to others, how in the world can we believe that we have accepted what God offers us? Oh, dear ones. It's not preacher speak. It's who we're called to be. Jesus is showing us who the church is supposed to be in the world. We show people that you don't have to shoot someone because they offend you with the way they look at you. We show someone that you don't have to rob someone else to be wealthy. We show someone that you don't have to cheat your best friend out of his work. We show someone that this world can be different because of the work of Christ. And the promise of God is that we are being transformed. In 2 Corinthians 5, I hope you'll go home and check me when you get there. It says that we are becoming the righteousness of Christ. Whoever is in Christ, Paul says, is a new creation. And the work of reconciliation is happening in that person. Because God was in Christ Jesus, reconciling the world to God's self, which begins with forgiveness. I will no longer hold you accountable for your sin, but you belong to me. The church is called to take up that same ministry in the world. To go out and hug the villain and show the beggar where to get bread. I loved seeing all your hands raised during the children's sermon when you said that you know God's forgiveness, that you've been forgiven of sins. So I ask you, dear ones, have you displayed that in your life with other people? Or are you resisting what Christ is doing in you? I promise you, God is at work in you, transforming you, so that you can be that same expression in love in the world that Jesus was. Because you were being reshaped to be like Him. Not so that you have human dignity, but so that Christ is visible in you. So if forgiving someone costs you some dignity, so what? So what? Maybe through your forgiveness, that person will know that God can forgive them the same way that God has forgiven you. Would you be willing to risk your dignity, church, to know that someone else found God's forgiveness because you forgave them? This is what Jesus holds before us today. A story of a man who owed... Wait, where's my, where's my sheet? 191,693 years of labor to someone else. But he went out. He went out and had a man thrown in prison who only owed 100 days labor until he could pay it. And his lack of mercy was so great that not only did he put the man in prison, but because he was in prison, he was unable to work to pay his debt. No amount of work we do can pay our debt to God. So Jesus shows us the enormity of our debt to God so that we will be willing to forgive those who have debts to us. 
Dear ones, I pray we let that sink in. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.